Well, I want to welcome you. If you're, uh, if you're tuning in online and this is your first time connecting with us, we're honored to have you. And uh, if you are new, whether online or you're in person, this is your first time, man. It is a great honor to have you. And we're actually in the middle of a deep conversation as we're talking about the soul. This series, Soul Work, is all about us mining down into the soul and asking God to impact and touch our soul. And we kind of, there's this basic truth that we're we're learning as we kind of just walk through this in a practical way. And that is this, that your emotional maturity will either affect in a positive way or a negative way your growth in every other atmosphere, every other arena of your life. In other words, your spiritual growth is actually something that could be stunted by your emotional maturity. And a great resource that we've been talking about through this series is a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Now, we buy uh, dozens of these books every single week, and you guys keep buying them out. And so we got more books at the shop today. If you have not got a copy of this book, could I just encourage you, this is an incredible companion resource while we're in the series talking about the soul, and I'm telling you, it may affect your life more than you can ever imagine. So let me just ask real quick, uh, how many of you got a copy of this book already? Raise your hand if you did. Okay. How many, is there anybody here that wanted to get a copy that has not gotten a copy? Raise your hand. Is there anybody? You wanted to get a copy, you couldn't? Guess what? It's your lucky day. You get one right here. Come on, give it up for her. Hopefully I don't hurt anybody. Yeah. That's why you should sit up front. That's why you should raise your hand. You get free swag, stuff like that. Today as we kind of dive a little deeper, and every week we're kind of just peeling back layers, exposing our soul a little bit more. I, I want to take a little bit of a journey for the next couple of weeks, not forward, but backwards. And I know life, we're really all focused on moving forward, but Can I just tell you that sometimes when it comes to your soul, before you can move forward in life, you might have to look back. In fact, I I would argue that there are some things in our lives that until we address our past, until we maybe address our childhood, until we look backwards, we will never be released to move forward into what God wants us to, God has for us and the life he has for us. And so you might have to kind of, this, I want you to imagine today that you're sitting in a counselor's office, okay? Now, I'm not a licensed counselor, and I don't pretend to be one, but I will say I've been to counseling, and I know that when you go see a counselor and you're dealing with emotional issues of the soul and things in your family, here's what I've encountered with every counselor I've ever talked to. One of the first things they do when they sit you down on the couch is they ask you things about your family, specifically your family of origin. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced that? You sit down and they start, you're like, hey, I'm just struggling. It's like, okay, let's talk about your mom. Whoa, 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 I'm not here to talk about my mom. I'm talking about me. No, 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 let's talk about your dad, okay? How was it growing up? What was this? And here's the, the reality, and that is that a lot of times we just move forward without ever stopping to look in a rearview mirror and kind of process some things about our family. That's what I want to do. Because here's what I do know to be true is that all of us grew up with a very different family experience. We didn't all grow up in the same family. We didn't all grow up in the same environment. 
We, we all grew up with a different set of parents and a different environment. And I don't know what your family experience looked like, okay? I, I know what a lot of us wanted our family experience to look like growing up. Maybe some of you, when you picture the ultimate family, the perfect quintessential family of wholesomeness and something that is just, everything is right in the world, a lot of times we picture this family. Stick it up if you would. <laughs> now all, all the older people are laughing. And all the younger people are like, who are they? Um, anybody know who that is? That's the what? The, the Brady Bunch. All right, all right. The Brady Bunch. Yeah, like whenever we think about the perfect family, we think about the Brady Bunch. Okay, if you're a little bit older, if you're younger, you probably don't have a great example on TV of a, of a great, you know, perfect family. But think about the Brady Bunch where it's like mom and dad just loved each other and got along and they grew up in, you know, this household with a bunch of brothers and sisters who all seem to love each other. And every episode there's a little bit of conflict, but at the end it's perfect at the end. And, and who doesn't want to grow up with a, a, without a mate or with a maid? That would be amazing, right, if you had a maid who could do all this stuff. Like it's the perfect picture of the perfect family. It's the Brady Bunch. Now, now, reality is that my your family looked nothing like the Brady Bunch. In, in truth, right, most of us probably grew up with a family that resembled more like this one. <laughs> Does anybody know what, what that family's called? They're the, the Adams family. Now, um, yeah, I, again, I just want to state for the record that I was not watching any of these families on TV when I was growing up live, just reruns after the fact. And the only reason why I know anything about the Adams Family is because they made it into movies and then they just released an animated one in 2019. Uh, 2019 so that's the only reason why I know about them. But, but the Adams Family was this family that had some very strange characters, kind of weird people, cousin it, and Uncle Fester, and y'all remember that? If you ever seen the, the movie or the TV show? They had crazy, and, and it always seemed like there was something spooky about the family, like they had family ghosts. That's what it felt like. It, it felt like there was some kind of, they, they lived in a haunted house, and, and there were ghosts all the time in the family, and they, deal, they dealt with this haunted family. Now listen, I... I know it's all cute and everything, and, and I don't know which family looks a little bit more like your family, but here's what I do know to be true, and that is this, that all of us actually are dealing with family ghosts. You, you maybe never thought about it this way, but I'm here to tell you that all of us are living haunted every day because of family ghosts. You know, you know, you can be 28 years old and have your own family, and a family ghost will show up. You can be 38, and family ghosts show up. You know, you know what I mean by family ghosts? It's kind of like when, when you said, and you had your first child, and you said, you know those things that my mom used to say to me? I'm never going to say it to my kids. And then they turned five, and they got out of line. And you said, don't make me pull this car over. And all of a sudden, you realize, I got a ghost. I got a family ghost. My mom's still haunting me. 
today. I'm talking about family ghosts. We have family ghosts in our life, and they show up all the time. You know, kind of like when, when, when you find yourself giving your husband the cold shoulder for two days because he said something that was insensitive, only to one day realize that you do that because that's what your mom did to your dad. It's a family ghost. Or, or like when you erupt in anger because of one little small thing that just sets you off, and, and then all of a sudden you, you just had to flashback how your dad always got angry. You're like, gosh, I, I swore I'd never be like him. But I, I find myself doing some of those same so, so, some of the same things. You, you know, um, you'll find out about family ghosts a lot of times when you get your blood work done. And then they'll tell you, hey, uh, you got high cholesterol. Hey, uh, they'll ask you questions at the doctor's office. You know how I know family ghosts are real? Because your medical doctor, whenever you go see him, will ask you questions about them. They'll say, anybody in your family deal with, uh, you know, diabetes? Anybody in your family have a history of cancer? Why do they ask those questions? It's because we're dealing with family ghosts. When, when you're 33 years old and you're looking in a mirror as your hair thins, you know what you're dealing with? A family ghost. What I'm saying is that we're all dealing with family ghosts and we don't even realize it. In fact, can I just tell you that there are two types of ghosts that we all wrestle with. Or, or there's two types of ghosts that people wonder if they're constantly haunting the soul. Why am I talking about this? Because you do not realize how much family ghosts haunt your soul. And there's two types that we have been arguing about for centuries. Two types of ghosts. There's one is, is the ghost of nature. The other is the ghost of nurture. You got two types of ghosts that are haunting you all the time. The ghosts of nature and the ghosts of nurture all the time in your life. And there has been a debate in uh, psychological circles and, and, and scientific circles for decades and centuries of why am I screwed up? Have you ever wondered that? Am I screwed up because of nature or because of nurture? Am I screwed up because of genetics or am I screwed up because of environment? This is the question we've been asking for a long time. You know, is the reason why I get angry so easily, is it because I saw my mom get angry at my father and at us all the time? Or is it that I am just predisposed to getting angry like there's some kind of genetic thing that I can't run away from? We've been talking about this in, in a variety of different areas when it comes to our struggles of the soul, especially addictions. This has been debated for a long time when it comes to addictions. The, the addictions that we have, is it a result of nature? Like, do I carry some genetic markers that uh, predestined me to be an alcoholic? Or is it because I saw my dad drink every single night just to come down from his anger or to be able to manage and cope with life? Which is it? This has been debated for a long time. 
And uh, in fact, alcoholism is considered a disease. They, they consider it a disease. You know, do you know why alcoholism is considered a disease? Because a disease is any condition that you have that persists for a certain length of time that medicine can't do away with. And so now we've been arguing. And so here's the question that a lot of us may wonder when we look back. Am I predestined to always have a failed marriage because I've come from a long line of failed marriages? Am I predestined to be a bad father because my father was mostly absent and his father abandoned him? And so is it nature or is it nurture? That's my question to you today. Is it nature? Is it nurture? Now, I am, I'm not a geneticist, and I'm not a counselor, and I'm not a psychologist, so I don't claim to be any of those things. I'm just a, I'm just a preacher. That's all I am. But I, it's my perspective that what we've done with science is that we've created a false dichotomy here. We've tried to pit these two against each other, and if you would ask me, I would settle the debate today. We could mark it down. March 13th, what is today? 13th, 14th, I don't even know, 14th of 2021, settled by a preacher in Columbus, Ohio. Here's what it is. It's both. It's both. I need you to see this because you got two types of family ghosts. You have a family ghost of nature and of nurture. Now, I feel like we need to parse through all this. Can, can I just be honest, as a pastor, I deal with so much in our pastoral team. We deal with so much in a community like this of, of challenges. And if I could just be real clear with you, I really believe that a majority of our issues and challenges in life, in our soul, can all be traced back to generations before us. Nature and nurture. This is such a deep subject that I've decided, and this is the good news for you, to break my message up into two parts. Otherwise, you'd be here for the next hour and a half. I told you this is counseling. You go sit with a counselor, it's going to take you a lot of sessions to work through your family issues. And so I'm going to break this up. You ha- that's, that's the good news. The bad news is you have to come back next week to get the rest of it. I want to talk about the ghost of nature this week and the ghost of nurture next week, and we're going to put it all together by the time we get done. Okay? And the reason why we have to take some time is because you're really complex. The reason why you have to sit at a counselor's office for multiple sessions is not just because they want to earn a good living, but it's because you're really messed up. We're complex creatures. Do you understand that? I don't know sometimes we even understand to the microscopic level how complex we really are. See, you got genetics from your parents. When mom and dad decided they love each other a lot, I'm keeping this real PG-13. When mom and dad decided they love each other a lot, they loved each other so much they decided to share their chromosomes. And inside of the nucleus of every one of your cells, and you, okay, is these 23 pairs of chromosomes. You got 23 from mom, 23 from dad, and that makes it 23 and me. How many of you ever done 23 and me? Have you you ever done it to find out your, your, your genetic traits and your history, right? That's where it comes from. It's because you have 23 pairs of chromosomes. Now, within each of these chromosomes, 
is this genetic makeup. Let, let, let me kind of just talk about how complex you are. You're so complex that back in 1990, uh, there was an international kind of grouping or organization experiment that came together that was called the Human Genome Project. You ever heard of it? The Human Genome Project. It was all these, several different nations and scientists from all over, international, that came together with the idea that we want to figure out how to map the human gene sequencing. What do I mean by human gene sequencing? Because they were trying to figure out how we were put together, okay? So, so what you need to know is inside of all of these little, itty, tiny microscopic cells on these 23 pairs of chromosomes is something called DNA. I know you all have heard of DNA, and I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, okay? But I just wanted to make sure everybody is on the same page, okay? There is DNA. Now, what, now, DNA. DNA is like this double-stranded like thing. I don't know, double helix. Okay, I'm not a geneticist and I'm not a scientist, and there's probably other proper terms for it. Okay, but but you, 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 I brought a picture. You can stick it up if you want. But you guys have probably seen something like that before, right? This double helix, and it's all you need to know is that there's four base chemicals that make up your DNA. And these chemicals all sequence, they get into groupings, into pairs on this like chain, okay, in your body that actually programmed how you were created. Like your DNA, listen, is the wiring schematic for how you got your lungs and how you got your hair and your eyes. It was, all came like it was code. This is software code. Listen, not just for your body, but here's why we're talking about. This is also a transcript for your soul. And they spent $3 billion over 13 years to take a few samples and actually sequence map the genetic makeup, the roadmap for humans. And you know what they discovered? We're really complex. You know, it's funny. I, I, always, I always love where we spend billions of dollars and lots of years and tons of scientific uh, knowledge goes in to discover things that uh, God's word tells us so plainly. I, I love how David said in Psalm 139, right? David said this, you made, talking about God, all the delicate inner parts of my body. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. Okay? In other words, that God put you together using DNA. This was his creation, his invention. DNA. Okay? Here's what you need to know. Because some of you will go, well, God didn't create me. My parents did. No. Your parents played a very, very small role in it. And they had fun for a little bit, but God did the heavy lifting, okay? Are we clear? It's important. And what happens is when your parents came together and your dad so lovingly shared 23 chromosomes with your mom, okay? And they formed together this DNA that became the code for which your body was then knit together in your mother's womb. This is what God did to create you. 
Why are we talking about this, okay? I didn't, I could come to church. I got away from school. I don't care about biology, okay? You stick with theology, pastor. Okay, hold on. The reason why I want you to understand this is you are a byproduct of the genetic makeup of your parents. My daughter Audrey is the byproduct of my wife and I and our genetic makeup, okay? The byproduct. But here's what you also need to know. You're not just the byproduct of your parents. You're also the byproduct of their parents. And their parents' parents. And their parents' parents' parents. And their parents' 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 parents. And their parents' 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 parents. And their parents' 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 parents. I'm having to close my eyes so I can count the number of parents. Do you get the point? I can stop right now if you get it. Shake your head if you get it. In other words... You actually have genetic makeup in you that can be traced all the way back to what family? To Adam's family. Oh, we're not done yet. I'm going to blow your mind today. You, you and I were affected by Adam's family. We've got family ghosts that we don't know anything about all the way back to Adam's family. In fact, so I can help you understand the ghost of your nature, I need to go back to Adam's family. To Adam's family in the garden in Genesis. But if, let, let, let me give you just a verse because I need you to see this. I'm just trying to paint a, a, today a theological structure with biology to help you handle counseling. That's what I'm trying to do. And the way God created the world is very important. God did something unique when he created the world. In Genesis chapter 1 is the account we have of creation that God gave to Moses. Most believe that God gave to Moses and he recorded for us. Because no one was around then. Genesis chapter 1 verse 11. Listen to the unique way that God made the world. It says, then God said, let the land produce vegetation. I thought we were talking about people. We are, wait. What kind of vegetation, that, that word, the next two words, would you all say it out loud? What kind of vegetation? He created seed-bearing plants. Everybody say it out loud again. Seed-bearing. God created seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with what in it? Say it out loud. With seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. I want to show you something. That when God created life in this world, he created it in such a way that within the smallest part of life, at the microscopic level, that God created everything to be reproduced through seed. He created the plants to have seeds that will bear more plants. Are you following me? This is a way that God created. He built a world. Listen to me. What do we do with seeds? We sow them. He created a world where he put a universal law in place where he said, I'm going to create a world where in the smallest of every living thing will be a seed. And that when the seed is sown, the seed will do what? It will reap something according to its various kind. Now, God didn't just do this with plants. He did it with animals, and guess what? He did it with you and me. He did it with mankind. Guys, 
God put within you seed. So that when seed is sown, all right, we're going to move on. That is not working really well. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm trying to help you see something. This is something about the world we live in. Why, why does all this matter? Here's what I need you to know. When God was working in his test lab, and he had all of these little beakers where he was testing out base chemical sequences, ATS and G, this is for the nerds. I'm not going there, but I just, when God was kind of messing around in his lab creating things, you know, and he's got a little beaker and he kind of messes around with the sequence and that one's kind of got hair and a big mane and big teeth and strong and powerful. And it's like, okay, that'll, we'll call it, that's like a lion. And then, I'm, oh, I, I messed around a little bit more and this one's got really long legs and a really long neck. Okay, that'll be a giraffe. And then, and then he decides, wait a minute, I'm going to make a masterpiece. So when God decides I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create man, he takes a needle I'm just painting a picture, so follow with me. He takes a needle, and he draws out some of his own blood. And he takes his own DNA. And with it, he writes the code for mankind. God said, I got an idea. Let's make man according to our image. And so he drew his own DNA. And he put it in the first man. And so what you need to understand is that when God created man, here's the difference, man had God DNA in him. So I'm picturing Adam, just go with Adam for now, you know, the first man. I'm just thinking about how perfect he was with pure God DNA running through him. I mean, chiseled abs, you know what I mean, just gorgeous you know, I, I don't know what pretty is to you, but just imagine this, okay? Fabio, but dark hair, all right? You know what I mean? I don't know if he had blue eyes or not, but I'm just saying, like, and I just want you to picture this perfect specimen that God created with his own DNA. And God created man and put within him the seed to reproduce, and when he created man, male and female, he said, be fruitful, have fun, multiply, fill the earth, right? So I ask you a question. If God put perfect DNA in man... Why is it that we look at our own lives and we look at the lives of everybody in our world and why doesn't our life seem to resemble God? That's a great question. If I'm so perfect, why do I mess up a lot? If I got perfect DNA in me, then why is it that I struggle with addictions or why is it that I struggle with my anger or why is it that I struggle with all the things that we say we struggle with? Why? If God made perfect DNA and everything was supposed to reproduce according to its kind, then we have to recognize something changed. Yes? Are you following me? Are you with me so far? I know this is really deep, but I would argue that something changed drastically in Genesis 3. What happened in Genesis 3? I won't even go into it. I don't have time. I told you this could be a two-hour message. But in Genesis 3, something changed. Here's what I need you to understand, okay? Adam and Eve did something they weren't supposed to do. What did they do? They ate of this one tree that God said, do not eat from or it will mess you up. He said, you will surely die. What did he mean by that? They didn't die in that moment. Well, they did die eventually and they died a spiritual death. 
But something changed. It was such a traumatic experience when Eve first grabs of this fruit and eats some and then gives some to Adam, as the biblical narrative tells us. And, and something changed inside of them. This is what I want you to see, right? Something shifted big time inside of them. Why do we know that? Because all of a sudden, now there was an issue between the two of them, and they felt guilt for the first time. This was a new feeling. They felt shame for the first time. This was a new feeling. What? See, see the, genetic, the genetic markers they had did, were not programmed for guilt. It was not programmed for shame. But they all of a sudden felt guilt, and they felt shame, and they realized they were naked so that they made their coverings. Why? Because something was now broken between them, and not only did they hide from each other, but when God showed up, they hid from God, and then when God found them, they lied to God, and then they blamed each other. Can we not all agree something traumatic happened in that moment? Something traumatic happened. So what does this have to do with our DNA? I'm glad you asked. Because one of the things that we have learned through studying genetics that you need to know about is actually theological, but scientists don't know that. Don't tell them. They don't know. It's something called epigenetics. You need to write that word down. Some of you have never really heard about it. Epigenetics. Epigenetics is something they have discovered by studying DNA. Again, we only know this stuff in the last, you know, decades. Epigenetics is something where you study, they study DNA, and here's what they discovered. That your DNA can actually be altered by traumatic experiences. Hold on, I told you, I'm going to blow your mind today with this. DNA can actually, the very part that you've been wired and handed down, can actually be altered through traumatic or bad experiences in life. They found this with people who had PTSD from war. They found this in Holocaust victims. That it, something so traumatic, chemicals are released, so powerful that it alters their DNA. I would argue, and this is my proposition, that what happened in Genesis 3 was so traumatic that it altered their DNA. It did. And oh, by the way, if your DNA gets altered and then you sow the seed, guess what you hand down? Altered DNA. We actually discover that in the Bible in Genesis chapter 4. We don't See, science teaches this, but the Bible already taught it to us. Because you flip the page to Genesis 4 verse 1 and 2, it says this. Adam made love to his wife Eve... And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now, I'm reading this, and all I can hear in my ears is a song by Soft Cell called Tainted Love. I'm going to screw with you for the rest of today. You're going to go listen to it, and you won't get that out of your head. Tainted Love. Adam, if I could rewrite Genesis 4-1 a little bit, if, I were, if, if God would have let me, I would have said that Adam made tainted love to his wife Eve, and he passed on tainted DNA. How do we know that? Because what is Cain known for? Murdering his brother Abel. Why? Because God created a world where we sow 
and reap, right? He created a world where we sow and reap. And I would argue that a lot of us actually are reaping what our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents and our great-great-grandparents and all the way back sowed into our genetic makeup. Now, I know that I got some of you, and you're, you're like, hey, that's cute and all, but um, I don't really go with this whole biblical mythology of Adam and Eve. You know what's, what's really cool about that? And I'm glad you're here. And if you say, I don't believe in the Bible, and I'm not sure I even believe in God, that's cool. I love science, by the way, if you haven't noticed. And I actually don't think that faith and science are opposites. They're a false dichotomy. I actually think that they're bedfellows. And oh, by the way, if you're someone who goes, I want to throw out the Bible, Perfect. I'm good with that. You ought to look up something called mitochondrial Eve. It's a term that a lot of scientists today don't really like because they don't like the reference to the biblical narrative of Eve. Of Eve. But you know what they discovered with mitochondrial Eve? They actually discovered that you and I and all of us are carrying genetic markers in us that link us all together all the way back to a first woman. They actually have found when they look at your, hey, listen, I know we don't share the same last name and I know we don't share the same parent and family tree kind of seems divergent, but at the end of the day, we actually all, now this is science, this is not Bible. This is science says that we're all connected back and we can argue, is it the Adam and Eve? Is it a mitochondrial Eve? Is it 100,000 years ago? Is it 6,000? We don't need to argue about that because science has proven that we actually are all related and that we're actually carrying genetic markers that relate all, us all the way back. So why, why does this matter? Why, why are we going on this big biology lesson today, Pastor? I don't understand why. Because I need you to understand something about your life and your soul. And that is that you were given broken DNA. Broken DNA was given to you from the very beginning. And what you may not realize is that you and I are carrying these genetic sinful markers you know what I'm talking about when we have, like, in other words, we have a propensity to sin. And what I'm saying is that a lot of things in life that you wrestle with and you're fighting and it's causing conflict in your marriage and conflict at work and conflict in your soul can actually be linked back to fighting family ghosts that you didn't even know were there. We're fighting family ghosts, not just your parents and grandparents, but all the way back. And why does this matter? Because listen, sinful nature creates dysfunctional behavior. A sinful nature will create dysfunctional behavior. Where is the line between nature and nurture? We can't tell that. Because a sinful nature creates dysfunctional behavior in our lives. So much so that it, it kind of comes to life in all of us when we least expect it. In fact, if I could show you how it came to life in one uh, New Testament writer, a guy named Paul. Paul, who's well-known hero of our faith, actually wrote about this internal struggle with a nature, a sinful nature, a nature that he did not ask for but was given to him. In Romans 7, verse 14 through 17, he said this, so the trouble is not with the law. In other words, the problem is not that there's a standard. He says, for it is spiritual and it is good. That's not the problem, what we're talking about. He said, the trouble is with me. For I am all to what? Everybody say that out loud. I am all to Paul says, the problem isn't that God has a standard. The problem is, I'm just human. 
He says, a slave to sin. Such strong language, what's he saying? I was given a sinful nature. And I don't really understand myself. You ever felt that way? For I wanna do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with God and the law is good. When I know it, when I have a conscience and I'm messed up, he says, so I am not the one doing wrong. This is really cute, Paul. He's just trying to kind of, you know, throw blame. But what is it? He says, it's sin living in me that does it. Paul recognizes, listen, something is at work in me. Something's at work in you. There there are things that we're fighting, family ghosts that we don't even realize. And and, and it comes out in ways where where we, I shouldn't think these thoughts, but I I just can't help it. And I know I shouldn't feel the way I do, but I do. And I know I shouldn't be living this way, but I want to. What is that? Paul would say, that's a sinful nature that was handed down because you're part of Adam's family. You've been given a same sinful nature. And if you're here and you're saying, or you're watching this, you're like, I don't know that I buy all that. Well, the only people that ever say that are the people who haven't been parents. Because the moment you have a child and before they even turn two, they start showing this rebellious side. You know what I'm talking about moms and dads? Say amen if you know, all the parents help me out. You know what I'm talking about, your kids? It's like, I didn't teach him that. I didn't teach him to disobey. What is that? That's genetic wiring. That's genetic code that was broken in the garden and passed down. And it gets stronger with every generation. And the traits that your parents had were passed down to you. You need to understand you're fighting with family ghosts. And why does this matter? Because you asked this question. So you tell me that I'm doomed from the beginning? Yep. That's what I'm saying. I'm sorry. But you're doomed from the very beginning. That's why we all got our start with this. And why does this matter? Because sin haunts our soul. So many of our problems that we're going to say, I'm dealing with soul issues. (laughs) You're dealing with a sin issue. Sin will wreck your soul. Sin will wreck your relationships. Sin will ruin your joy. Sin will destroy any purpose in your life. Sin wrecks our soul, and we all got a sinful nature. And and I know you're here today, and you're going, all right, Pastor, well, thanks for depressing me even more. I knew life was already hard. I didn't know it was that bad. Listen, I know that, but listen, I'm not going to leave you that way today. I know you feel like I gave you some bad news, but listen, here's what you need to know. We're all part of Adam's family, but there was also another guy who was part of Adam's family. Oh, okay, now I got to talk about someone else who was part of Adam's family. I got to talk about somebody in scripture that we call the last Adam. I got to talk about a guy who came to this world, listen, that did not get the seed of broken man. Some people say, why in the world would Jesus have to come through a virgin woman? Maybe it's because he could not get tainted seed from man who broke DNA on this world. But maybe God in heaven said, I'm going to put the pure, undefiled genetic code in that one. And Jesus came. 
And I could go, if I had time, I would go through bloodline and show how his bloodline through his mom was filled with murderers and adulterers and prostitutes. And maybe Jesus just had to show up in a bloodline that was tainted by that so that he could correct and reverse what was messed up. And I love what Paul also said in Romans chapter 5. I got these couple verses and I'm done. Romans 5 verse 18 and 19 says, yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But... Oh, I love that, but everybody say, but, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life. Oh my gosh, a new life for everyone because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Adam, the first Adam messed it up, but then Jesus came and he corrected it. What Adam messed up in the garden, Jesus showed up, lived a sinless life life. And when Jesus went to the cross, do you know what he was doing on the cross? He was taking the power of sin and death and the curse that was handed down and he was breaking that on the cross. And some of you need to know that what Jesus did for you was he showed up so that he could break the power of a sinful nature that hovers over your life every single day. Come on, stand up on your feet. I'm finishing. I'm finishing. I get so excited about this because some of you that feel like I can't get out from under it. I'm telling you, this runs so deep. This runs through my blood. It runs through your blood. I I feel like I do the things I don't want to do. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. What is that? That's the power of the sin nature ruling your life. But maybe someone never told you the whole truth about epigenetics. Back to the science, Pastor. Why do we do this? No, 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 no. You need to know about epigenetics because as we began to study genetics, you know what we discovered? This is a recent discovery in the last few years. They found that a traumatic experience can alter your DNA and then when you pass it on, you hand down tainted DNA to the next generation. So that people who are struggling with depression, but they saw their dad struggle with depression and his dad struggle with depression, you realize all of a sudden that there's something in me that's maybe predisposed to struggling with depression. What is that? That was handed down. But do you know what they discovered about epigenetics? They discovered the gospel. Because one of the things they found out was that in the same way that a traumatic or bad experience can alter your DNA. Guess what? A good and a positive experience can actually reverse what was broken in your DNA. And I thought, that's so God. That's so God that the gospel on a microscopic level lives deep within ourselves that God just proved it. That listen, what is broken and unable to be fixed by mankind, the good news of Jesus coming reverses the curse and breaks the power of sin in our lives. Come on, you ought to get excited about that. I wonder if there's anybody here today that says, okay, I'm ready to be free from the power of a sin-filled nature doesn't mean that you won't still struggle with habits and patterns. We'll talk more about that next week. But here's what I believe. That the power of it can be broken. And I want to pray to break it today. Is there anybody with me? I want to break it today. Come on, would you bow your heads? I want you to close your eyes with me.
I, I think this is a very serious moment. Listen, as we're praying, I, I'm gonna pray in just a moment. And I know that God's speaking to many of you today. As you look at your life and how there are things that have been handed down to you, that have haunted you, we're going to pray today and God's going to, I just believe that the Spirit of God wants to break the power of that over your life today. But I also know this, that until you make Jesus the Lord of your life, you will never be able to experience this power. And I just want to say maybe someone watching this online or somebody here in the room today, what you need is to surrender your life to Jesus. You need, in epigenetic terms, the reversal of what was broken in you to begin with. Today you can receive that by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior and the work he did for you on the cross. The Bible says that you are made new and you have a new bloodline. The Bible says that you are adopted into a new family, that you get a new bloodline when you embrace Jesus. If that's your prayer, would you just say this with me? Jesus, today I receive you as my Savior. I receive your work on the cross, and I receive your blood to course through my spiritual veins. Today, God, I receive new life. Today I become a new creation in you. And I, I, I just pray right now you forgive my sin, my sin-filled nature, God. I surrender it to you, and will you make me new? Make me new.